Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. Today, I get to talk with Amy Odin via Zoom about all things spiritual formation, healing in the time of COVID-19, her work with Academy and why she thinks it's important, and more. Because we're finding new ways to connect and listen and converse with one another in the midst of this global pandemic, know that the sound quality of our conversation may not be what you're used to hearing. However, I think Zoom did a pretty good job capturing the wisdom, love, and flow of our conversation, and I am grateful. Be on the lookout for more conversations with Academy leaders and faculty in the days and weeks ahead. Amy Odin is visiting professor of early church history and spirituality at St. Paul School of Theology in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. She has served on the faculties of Oklahoma City University and Wesley Theological Seminary, where she also served as dean. She holds a PhD in religious studies from Southern Methodist University and a baccalaureate in letters from the University of Oklahoma. Born and raised on the prairies of Oklahoma, Amy has found her spiritual home under the wide open sky. Her passion is to introduce spiritual practices that can ground and nourish lives for justice in the world. Amy teaches theology and history of Christianity and spiritual formation, walking with students and learning. She has won teaching awards and is in demand as a speaker. She is a spiritual director, companioning people as they listen for God in day-to-day life, and currently serves on two-year Academy 41 leadership team. Amy has published four books that all focus on bringing voices of ancient wisdom to inform and illuminate contemporary life. What follows is a conversation with Amy, who is a friend, mentor, and colleague in the way of love. I am grateful for her presence and wisdom sharing about what it is to be human and healing in these uncertain times. Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy. Well, Amy, welcome to the Academy podcast. We're really glad that you're here with us today, uh, joining us from your home in Oklahoma, which I want to hear a little bit more about uh, in a little bit. But just um, glad to talk with you about all things spiritual formation and the Academy and this really strange time that we find ourselves in. Uh, any wisdom, of course, that you have for us is <laughs> greatly appreciated and needed. But before we get into all that, I just want to hear about you and tell us, like, who are you? And uh, I, I always like to know about the geographical landscape of your faith and your life. And you talk about that, of course, a lot um, in, your, in your bio. And so we know a little bit, but would love to just hear your words today. Who are you? What do you love? Tell us. Well, thank you. Thank you for um, holding space for these holy conversations on the podcast and for inviting me into this space. Um, I grew up on the prairies of Oklahoma, the western part of Oklahoma, which is part of the Great Plains. Um, You know, we kind of tease that there's no trees between us and Canada. Uh, So think buffalo, think uh, some tall grass. Uh, and that has so shaped my life. I've lived a lot of other places, and I've loved living other places, Um, but in the last few years, I've returned to Oklahoma and returned to that landscape just aware of how much it, it names me and how much it has shaped and orients my spiritual life, and and there are several parts of that, I think, that, that, have, that tell you about who I am. And one, one is just the, you know, the wide open spacious sky of the prairie. There's just, there's this expanse, a sense of expanse, a sense of space, of, of spaciousness um, that 
for me has been a revelation about who God is, right? This sense of, um, of this vast horizon. Um, and the other piece is not only is it vast and expansive, but there is a horizon and I can see it every single day. You know, when I lived in Washington, D.C., it was so beautiful with all the trees, but I could never see the sunset or the sunrise, right? And right. so to have both bounded, expansive space is very much, um, I think, the nature of God's life with us that's expansive and bounded and held, right? We're held in that. Mm. Um, the other thing about the prairie is it's windy. And, yeah. uh you know, super windy all the time. And, and again, I didn't know that until I lived some other places where it wasn't windy all the time. Um, and, and that too has for me um, a, a kind of simplicity. The wind strips bare, you know, whatever we try to cling to, whatever, you know. So, so even the prairie, there's a lot going on. It's a very diverse ecosystem. But that being said, there's not a lot of clutter, you know, because it's going to get blown away. Uh, and, and so as I think about my own spiritual life, it, it, no surprise, it seems to have these dynamics mm -hmm. of wanting things kind of pared down and simple and focused, um, but also really expansive. Um, and, and that's my, very much my experience of God's grace in my life as well. Mm. It's beautiful, and I resonate with that being from West Texas uh, and uh, living now in Nashville for many years, uh, which I love, but it's tough for me because there's also a lot of trees. <laughs> so I sometimes go, I haven't seen the sunset <laughs> in too long. I've got to get out somewhere, you know, and so I'll go for a drive and, and try to see it. I, I can see the sunset like kind of behind the trees in our backyard, which will suffice. When I'm out in that expanse of prairie, I also am very aware that I cannot see and perceive everything that is there. There is more than I can grasp in one sweep of the eye, right? Because it's just so much bigger. Mm -hmm. And my hunch is folks who live near oceans or mountains or, you know, there's lots of ways to experience e expansiveness. Um, I, I think it, it, it helps me be aware that I do not grasp everything, mm. right? And, and in that unknowing is, um, again, its own kind of freedom. So anyway, yeah, that's probably enough about that. Well, uh, you know, the theme of unknowing seems to be pretty, <laughs> pretty much with us. Uh, and always has been, but I think we're seeing it now just with this global pandemic a really uh, expansive, uh, big way um, that even those of us who were kind of hanging out and not aware, consciously aware of it now are going, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. And even the people who should know things like the doctors and don't know a lot, right? Because it's all unfolding. So I'm curious just uh, how that's sitting with you. Um, in the prairies of Oklahoma. I mean, do you feel like you, you know, are prepared for this in a way? Um, mm -hmm. What is our, ha has our faith helped prepare us even without our knowing it? <laughs> I'm curious, yeah, what you yeah. think about that. Yeah, I, I this is a time um, of disruption and what, what we know from our great, you know, spiritual traditions and teachers and, and biblical stories is that, that that's the beginning of transformation. Mm. And so I, on the one hand, now we're really not prepared. And I think there's some, some important cultural markers around that, that we can talk about. And I also, I also, um, see the incredible riches we have in our spiritual traditions to, to address that experience of disruption in a way that is not only anxious, right? Anxiety is one response 
and an understandable response, but it's not the only response. Um, Just to say a word personally, let let me say I've been in a period of profound disorientation in my life for the last several years. My husband developed um, frontotemporal dementia in his mid fifties and we're several years into that. And so that experience of having sort of life as I know it, um, stripped away now, who am I and what is this life? And, you know, all of that. So in some ways, just only on my individual personal level, the pandemic, in some ways, I feel like the rest of the world is now on the same page with me. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to name that. Um, That being said, I think this is just an incredible opportunity um, to press the pause button and um, all of us um, to to connect to um, our our inner freedom, our inner freedom to to exercise our own agency right in in making choices about our lives rather than just sort of being pressed along in a and sort of a driven patterns of life that um are not always conscious and not always free yeah yeah and i think some of us feel it you know and it just hits us differently um based on kind of where we are and yeah and I've talked to many friends who have lost a parent um, Mm -hmm. to, you know, in the past or um, those of us who've had other kind of deep traumatic experiences and it had, the pandemic has kind of hit us differently, um, you know, in that. And then my kind of work has been finding compassion for those who are very anxious and very afraid uh, in a different way than I am. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just been interesting kind of paying attention to all of that. And, and of course, like it changes for me from day to day, <laughs> from moment to moment, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm doing great right now. And then like 10 minutes later, I'm like, what the heck is happening? You know? So. Sure. And that's so human and that's so, right appropriate right i think the messiness of it Mm -hmm. um yes all of that and and i do do want to say though i think our our culture particularly in recent years has really um cultivated anxiety Mm. in a way that leaves us really vulnerable then during this time yeah. And, and anxiety, as you say, warrants compassion. Anxiety is a really important harbinger, a herald, right? Mm-hmm. That gets our attention, that wakes us up. So, you know, it doesn't mean anxiety is a failure of, it's not a moral failure, right? <laughs> to be anxious. Right. And if that's the only posture we have, then, um, then we are really vulnerable, um, I, I think, to a number of dangers and actually to harming others as well. Yeah. I want to come back to that, but first I just want to hear about, you know, this is the Academy podcast. Um, so mm-hmm. I want to hear about when you first heard of the Academy, learned of us, uh, started teaching with us. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, now you're on the advisory board. Um, tell us about your journey with Academy and, and sure. what it's been, been like for you and, and why you keep showing up and coming back. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Academy for spiritual formation is one of those uh, gigs where anytime I get an invitation, the answer is yes. Um, I got an invitation to be a faculty presenter in 2006, I think. But I'd known of the work of the Academy uh, long before that, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s when it first started, because I had some clergy friends who were a part of it. And I saw 
you know, with my own eyes, the kinds mm. of formation and transformation it was in their lives. And, but my own life was busy in the academic world, you know, developing my scholarly life. And um, that was rich and exciting and I loved it. And then when I got invited to be in a faculty presenter at a five-day academy um, with John Philip Newell, no less, oh, wow. uh, it was, it was, immediately clear to me that this was a different way of knowing and a different way of inviting people into exploration that, that took seriously uh, the intellectual as well as the affective, as well as the spiritual that welcomed all these dimensions of human being and human knowing, right? Mm. Into that space, deeply integrated space. And so as I continued to be invited and to be in various academy communities and got to experience that rhythm of life, um, it, it became a place where I could begin to integrate my scholarly life and my spiritual life, um, sort of the academy on one hand and the church on the other, which of course we're always trying to integrate, right? And, mm -hmm. and for thousands of years, we've been integrating in new ways, but this is a place that happens. And so that is, I think, really important, especially as we move from the modern to a postmodern time, when the modern world really wanted those compartmentalizations and they were helpful for a number of reasons in the modern period. Now, as we moved into the postmodern period, though, um, human cultures are seeking to reintegrate uh, and so I think the academy is really important and, and a place I want to I wanna be and pour out my life because of that. Um, but the other, the other thing I want to say is that I do, the academy is a place to cultivate practices of listening. Mm. And there just aren't many places our culture does that. Even our religious cultures don't do that very much. And, and so that work is so important to me to have spaces where as a community, folks come together, we press the pause button and we really give ourselves time to listen to one another, to ourselves, mm -hmm. to God. Uh, and I believe that is what changes the world. Mm -hmm. um, and especially for a culture, and I'm, a culture that favors kind of pathologizing life, right? So we live in a culture where our, our primary posture in relation to reality, right? The primary stance in relation to the world is what is wrong and how can I fix it, mm -hmm. right? This is in the church, this is in the culture. And so we've really developed that muscle. Um, and that's, it's a good thing to be able to identify problems and what's wrong. But if that's the only tool we have, we're not going to participate in God's transforming of the world. I did, you know, being in that, that judging critical stance isn't how transformation happens. And, and, and we know this in our own lives, right? So what Academy does is open space for us to develop that other muscle, which is to also listen and look for where life is growing, what is giving life. You know, when you go, when you're a community organizer and you go into a neighborhood, you don't go house to house telling them what's wrong with their lives and how you've come to fix it, right? You do asset mapping. You ask them what their resources are, what their strengths are, right? But we're not doing that in the church and in the culture. We're, we're encouraging people to think, how can we improve you? How can we improve this organization, right? Yeah. The Academy holds space for different conversations. And, and that's why I believe it's transformative that helps us have eyes to see and ears to hear in ways that, that, that we're not in other, other places. And that, mm -hmm. I think that's just really important. Yeah. It's like the healing happens in community mm -hmm. over and over again in my life and, and that I've seen in others' lives. Um, yes. And I don't always love that as somebody who tends to be a soloist and sort of brought up in this idea that, you know, it's all up to me. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I was brought up in it or if it was just, you know, it's kind of in me, probably both. And 
Um, and there's this sense that, and this knowing that when we are together, uh, listening, breathing, singing, you know, not doing really much of anything that, but that, uh, that's when I've known healing the most. Uh, and so, yeah, that's been my experience with the Academy and, and with other spaces where we, where we really get together and, and do that. Um, cause nobody, I, I was watching something just this week that said, um, I never learned something by someone teaching me a lesson, you know, like this kind of like wagging the finger, you know, he was like, I learned something by hearing people's stories, you know, by being invited in. Uh, and I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a good reminder for me with my four-year-old as well. Right. You know? And it's, so. you know, and it's messy and it's not efficient. Oh, right. That's right. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and so we've got to create spaces and allowances Mm -hmm. for it to happen. Cause if I'm like you say, if I'm in my self-sufficient autonomy and being productive and being efficient, yeah, that's not, there's not space for that. Yeah. Well, in your most recent book right here, right now, you talk about Christian mindfulness and, that our Christian tra- tradition has something to say about that. Um, and so I'm curious uh, how those practices of mindfulness are particularly Christian and what you'll, you can kind of tell us about that. And then um, how might we practice these in these times? Uh, mm-hmm. what, what does that look like right here, right now? Yeah. 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 I mean, mindfulness um, is, a practice throughout um, our Christian history and in other religious traditions as well, because it's such a powerful uh, way of living the human condition. Um, But most folks aren't aware of how much it's part of the Christian tradition. And so that's one of the things I do in the book. Um, What's Christian about it. Let me say a couple of things. Jesus spent a lot of time, in his ministry, teaching about uh, attentiveness, right? Have eyes to see, have ears to hear, see this kingdom that is right in front of you as close as your breath, not some far off place, not after you memorize Bible verses, not after you die and God's on a cloud somewhere, right now in front Mm -hmm. of you. And and if if you don't have eyes to see, you're going to miss it. Right, so being present in our own lives to God's presence with us is Christian mindfulness, right? And that can look a lot of different ways. So if we look over the spiritual practices of 2000 years, almost all of them have some component of being mindful in the present moment of ourselves with God. So it's both of those. We have to be really um, present with ourselves who we, you know, what, how our lives really are right now, not some future projected idealized self. Um, And secondly, with that, allow ourselves to let God hold that with us. And so that kind of mindfulness, I think, um, especially in times that are anxious, um, Mm -hmm. is very healing and, and important. Uh, you know, being truthful about our lives isn't always warm and fuzzy, right? I mean, so sometimes being truthful about my life is I'm freaked out. Um, Or, um, and if we immediately start wanting to fix it and change it and repress it and improve it, right? We're not going to heal it. And so what mindfulness does in our tradition is um, invite us to take seriously our, our embodiment right? I mean, the teaching of the mm-hmm. incarnation, there is no higher endorsement of the human body, right? Than, than the incarnation itself. So, so teaching us to, to be in our bodies and whatever our bodies are, are feeling, sensing, um, is a deeply Christian practice. Yeah. Uh, so in my book, the two, the two kind of practices, the most simple practices, I, I um, teach and invite people into our attentive breathing and attentive embodiment. 
Say more about the attentive embodiment. I mean, how is that different from the breathing? Yeah, so attentive breathing is, I think, always a helpful starting place. And it's a tool we have with us all the time, right? Our breath. You know, you don't have to read a book or have a, you know, equipment or, yeah. Um, and, and so, and it's such a deep part of our scripture and practice that, that God's spirit, you know, that word for spirit mm. is the same word as breath and wind, you know, in Hebrew, but also in the New Testament Greek. And so early, you know, this is really deeply organic to early Christian communities that breathing is what connects us to God. So just stopping to breathe yeah. and in an attentive way. Um, embodiment, you know, it, a lot of folks have experienced attentive embodiment in a therapist office or in a, a, some kind of a, a mental health environment where they learn to do a body scan, yeah. you know, where you start at the top of your head and you scan through your body. So in the Christian tradition, so, so I think that practice um, is something that has parallels in the Christian tradition. Um, and attentive embodiment then means bringing our awareness out of the ways we're reactive to all the externals, right? Mm-hmm. Reacting to messaging and, and instead turn our awareness to our physical sensation, attitude, emotions, all of that, uh, and do a body scan, uh, is one way to do that. Another way, uh, that's prevalent in, in the Christian tradition is to bring the mind into the heart. And mm-hmm. as we bring and let our minds sink into the heart, we sink into our bodies. Um, an incredible source of revelation. You know, things we need to know. There's no other way to know uh, unless we listen there. And then uh, hold whatever arises uh, with God and allow God to hold that with us. And in that, discover, I think, our life in God. Yeah. I remember the first time my therapist said, you know, where, where are you feeling this in your body? And I was like, I mean, everywhere. (laughs) I mean, it took me or nowhere. I have no idea. You know, it took me a minute and, and then she gently and compassionately led me through some of that breathing to where then I was like, Oh, my stomach feels really tight. Like that's interesting or my throat is really tired, you know? And Uh so then it was, it, and then that led me on this awareness of I've been talking a lot lately. (laughs) Maybe Mm -hmm. I need to shut up, you know? I mean, just, or like kind of in that belly, you know, it's, um, we're kind of that creative energy Uh can be. Uh And anyway, so yes. Sure. Yeah. All of that. I mean, it's uh, so much of Christianity is sort of neck up as though somehow, you know, whatever our faith is, is, is all, you know, in our heads. And, and actually, we really do privilege cognitive, right, over everything else. Right. Um, but that's a relatively recent development in Christianity. You know, we're just, that's just the last few hundred years and has a lot yeah. to do with the Enlightenment and, and really, anyway, without a long history lesson. Um, <laughs> but the exciting thing is we're in this wonderful period where I think a lot of that reintegration is happening and we're recovering the, the body um, as, as holy that it has been part of our tradition all along. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some practices uh, that you are finding really grounding and centering for you right now? And that could be, I mean, spiritual practices. I, I, I tend to define spiritual practices as pretty broad. I mean, broad might be, you know, gathering with our friends on Zoom or, you know, I'm just curious, like, what what does it look like for you right now? Yeah, yeah, I I would say the any practice that is sort of unitive that that brings us to ourselves and others and God and connects us, right? So that's a pretty broad. Uh, What I've noticed about myself is that I'm craving the out of doors. Mm. And um. And so I'm wanting to spend a lot of time outside and within the limits of social distancing, which, I, which I'm honoring. Um, and I think part of that is that it's spring and I'm so grateful. It would have been very hard, I think, to go through this uh, pandemic in, the, in winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and that craving, I think what, what happens when I go outside is I, I see the insistence of life, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, and the messiness of it. Winter has been teaching me, has been teaching us, you know, that it looks like nothing's happening. Looks like everything's dead, everything's fallow, right? And then, and then this burst of rapid growth. So when I'm outside, I'm part of that larger cycle, right? That's bigger than this moment and, um, and reminds me of the seasons of being a creature and invites me to be a creature in, right, in that process, in that flow. And that I may feel like my life is dormant right now. But what I know from what winter and spring teach is that there may be a burst of rapid growth after this um, and that, that may look really different than the way it looks now. So I say all that, you know, it's not like I'm consciously having all those thoughts. I don't all the time, but I think that's what it is about that space that brings me life and returns me to myself and returns me to God's life in me. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling you, you know, before we started, and I'll say here that I've spent more time outside and the grass and on our front porch in the past, you know, three weeks, four weeks than I probably ever have. <laughs> uh, and there's been this real uh, beautiful gift of that, uh, that setting up a rhythm for our four-year-old, uh, there's, you know, three solid hours at different times of the day where we're outside um, for his daily rhythm. And, you know, he can come and go. We're not, you know, too worried about that. I mean, we don't have to be there all the time, but I've, I sense the pull, you know, when, and he says, mommy, come outside with me. Like, how can you say no to that? You know, (laughs) so that's been a really beautiful gift and, um, and, and the sunshine and, I kind of, I looked up the other day, you know, at the trees and we have a lot of hawks that, you know, fly around and, and other birds as well. But I thought, do they know? Like, like, do, and, and then I thought, do they care? Like, or, yeah. and not in an insensitive way, but just in a, they're just so, it's that attentiveness, that presence to who they are and, this is, I fly and I look, you know, and I land on the next branch. And I mean, right. Anyway, that was, uh, that was some of what was going on for me. Yes. We have so much to learn. They are our spiritual guides, right. Mm -hmm. And what it is to be fully present and fully oneself. You know, a tree is never trying to be a dog. Mm. And, uh, and I just, I need to learn that over and over. Absolutely. Well, so you recently wrote an article entitled COVID-19 invites us to heal ourselves in the world. And so I'm wondering if you'd say a little bit more about what individual healing looks like in relation to the whole world. Mm-hmm. So why does personal healing matter, especially when so many others are suffering and seemingly not healing? Uh, what, what does that mean? Why, mm-hmm. why is this important right now? Yeah. Let me be sure to give credit to Professor He at Seattle University, who really wrote the bulk of that piece. Um, one of the things that happens when there is profound um, shared crisis, like we're in now, is I think our, our gaze can quickly be turned to the enormity of the crisis and the enormity of the suffering, appropriately so. Um, however, the, the danger with that is, is almost using it as a way to avoid mm-hmm. addressing our own pain or trauma. Uh, and, and these are lifelong journeys, right? They're not like, I'll, I'll get myself all together first and then I can, can address the world. That's not how it works, as we know. Um, 
But if we're not paying attention, if we're not addressing our own woundedness, then our, our actions are likely to be reactions to the suffering. So let me say something about, about arriving home, returning to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, not because we can fix it all and heal it all, uh, but because that is the place um, where ultimately our inner freedom begins so that when we do respond to the world, we're responding out of our deepest, truest identity in Christ and able to respond um, until we have, have arrived at ourselves, right, and turned inward, um, then we really aren't free um, to love the world that God so loves. Uh, and we're likely instead to kind of have an ego need um, that's a little bit different. Um, let me say a word about suffering and then come back, back to healing. Um, before COVID-19, before the very first case of COVID-19, the world was suffering. There was profound human brutality. There was incredible uh, systemic injustice. And when COVID-19 is over and we have a, a, a vaccine or a treatment, there will be profound suffering, right? So I think it's important not to treat suffering as a problem to fix. Um, I think that's a way to avoid suffering and not really look it in the face, uh, either to just wring our hands or, or be super anxious on behalf of others who are suffering, um, is really a desire to make it end. We want the suffering to go away. We don't want to have to live with it. Um, and that's one posture that's very human. And I have a lot of compassion for that posture. And uh, I think God invites us to a different posture, um, which is uh, how do we live in relationship to suffering, which seems to be part of the way things are. Um, it's not to diminish it and say, oh, get over it, or suffering isn't important. It's actually quite the opposite. It's how do we see this as actually a, 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 a part of reality that will continue to be um, so that uh, we can then move into that suffering and live in it and with it in solidarity with others. So that then when I act on behalf of someone, if I have something in my power to reduce the suffering of another human being, then I can act on that, right? And I have freedom and agency, but not because I think, whoo, now I've taken care of suffering. Now it'll be over, right? Mm-hmm. But rather because my life is only the love of God poured out in the world. So that's what I'm going to do, knowing that a week from now, a year from now, children are going to be traumatized in their own homes every day in my city. Right. Yeah. So, um, so with that relationship to suffering, we can only be in that posture, I think, to the degree that we've, we also continue to name, notice, sit with, and allow God to heal, um, our own, our, our own brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. And again, right. That's not work that we do necessarily alone. Mm. Um, And so I think it could be easy to, for all of that to come up in this time. Right. And people be in their homes sitting there going, Holy moly, what do I do? Um, And so, you know, I can say for the Academy, I mean, we're here to help connect and resource in different ways. And so I just want anybody listening to this, if there's particular woundedness, trauma coming up uh, and you need help, like connect with us and, mm-hmm. and we, we can find folks in our networks 
because, you know, we're all figuring out how to do teletherapy and, you know, phone spiritual direction and yes. <laughs> Zoom, yes. Zoom covenant groups and, and uh-huh. all of that. Uh-huh. So, so I just want to say that. Um, yes, as, thank you. You know, and in, in thinking about that and then, um, then yeah, um, finding, uh, you know, I read something from, I think Brene Brown just said, and this is, a, I think, an, a very ancient truth, uh, that diminishing our stuff, whatever it is, whether it's our suffering or our joy or anything else, does, is, doesn't really service anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to relativize it. So like, oh, all the people in New York or all the people in Italy or all the people in Africa are somehow, you know, more in pain than I am. And so therefore, like, I don't get to heal like that, you know, <laughs> but we do. I mean, we do that. Uh, we do that as a culture. We do that as a mm-hmm. church. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I just very much appreciate you reminding us uh, that it really does all matter. And that and it's all connected. Connected. Right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And none of this can we do on our own. This is not a self-help. Um, it, um, we really are all members of a larger body and, and need each other. Yeah. in all of these things. Yeah. I, I met with my covenant group. We've been doing a weekly zoom, uh, group together conversation. And, you know, I got to share with them that I have experienced some profound healing from just a particular trauma in the past four weeks. And that I was really kind of surprised by it. It it was like all of a sudden I was like thinking about what was going on and I wasn't traumatized and I felt light and at peace. And I I was just kind of like, you know, it's like I'm looking over my shoulder, like what in the world is this? And then I'm like, okay. And kind of, it kind of like a butterfly, like lighting on my hand, like I'm going to hold it really steady and soft and maybe it won't go away, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> That's how it was at first. And, and then process that more with my therapist. Um, but all, all to say, it was such a gift to have a group to celebrate that with, yes. you know, I mean, I, to journey with, but then to say, oh my gosh, yes. Like, yes, you are allowed to be at peace. I mean, it was just, I knew that deep down. I knew that deep down. Mm-hmm. But it was so affirming and beautiful of the beloved community to kind of be there with me and say, amen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, we need others to speak truth into our lives. Yes. Right. And sometimes it's to see in us and in our lives what we cannot yet ourselves see. And, and that's just such a blessing. Yes. Can I ask Claire, um, your sense of some healing from this trauma then did not come from some intentional program of practice, but more of sort of a a dawning awareness that, Hey, I think something's happened here. Would that be fair? How would you describe it? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, uh, and, and I can say the particular trauma was around the birth of my daughter, Liv, who's now seven months. Um, and, and she and I both went through a lot and, um, that's all I really want to say about that. But, um, but for, for months, um, the, the physical healing that I had to go through was very, very intense. Um, and then once I started to heal more physically, it was like all of the emotional stuff came up, right? Because it's so connected. And so, um, so was in very intense kind of therapy, uh, with, with my therapist who have been in relationship and, and doing some less talk therapy and more kind of of the body awareness mm-hmm. stuff, um, breathing, some EMDR, which is an eye movement these sensitization, something like that. Um, if folks want to look it up, you can just Google EMDR, but, um, that kind of just helps like shift some of that energy and connection, you know, with the memory. So, so I want to say like, yes, there's been that 
very intentional kind of regular practice for me in therapy, um, finding the safe places where I could process and talk um, if I needed to, but really just finding the places where I could be held. Um, nobody, nobody, you know, the, the places where I, nobody was forcing me to heal, right? Like you don't just, I mean, that can't be forced. It happens and it happens. But so I think all of that was like tilling the ground. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then there was just something about uh, being home, not being able to leave us, you know, all being, I mean, my husband and I both trying to work and we have Wade, our four-year-old and live our seven-month-old. And um, I could feel in my body like this tension to that, like this, I do not like this. I do not like being, you know. <laughs> tied up. Um, I need help with my children. I'm not afraid to admit that, like all kinds of things. And, but then I just kind of, all of a sudden one day it was like, I, I've been here before where I had no control and I survived. And that's a really beautiful, profound mm-hmm. gift. And, and so there was just this sense and this knowing that came from, from that deep work and that deep place and that just deep experience of going, you're going to survive this and, and we're going to survive this. And, and I say that right with the full acknowledgement that people are dying from this. And as you said, people have, I mean, suffering has existed long before and will long after. Um, but how I've, I've understood it in my life is just, I'm going to breathe deeply on behalf of those who can't. I'm going to celebrate the peace that is within me for those who are not at peace. And if it weren't for the people who held that for me when I was in turmoil and when I was traumatized, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that for me, you know, having lived many decades, uh, I realize what a gift that is um, because it helps me know that I have lived through some really hard things. And um, again, I want to be careful not to in any way diminish or trivialize what's happening now. Um, but to connect to my own inner life and having been, especially in recent years, living with a lot of loss on a daily basis, that if that being attentive to that in me, I think is connected to my ability or my capacity um, to be present in this crisis. So that connection of, of the inner life and uh, larger, the larger scale of crisis are always, yeah, very, very connected. In this particular time of COVID-19, staying home in service to the most vulnerable among us, mm-hmm. what might you have to offer, say, for those of us who are fine, you know, leading spiritually in this time? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are always the, the questions that, that Christian spiritual traditions have asked for centuries. You know, the basic questions, what, what uh, is God inviting you to? Where are your resistances? What are the obstacles in the way of the, right? All those kinds of questions, which you can continue to ask and you will. Um, I do think as leaders, uh, within the body of Christ. So thinking about church folks who are leaders in congregational settings, I think this is an incredibly uh, fertile time. Um, Now for a lot of folks, that just means it's crazy and scary. Uh, And uh, particularly though for the body of Christ and our own ecclesiology, you know, who are we when we don't have our church buildings? which is the question, you know, I think we all needed to be asking for a long time to have our, to to have this experience sort of strip away from us the way we've attached to buildings and attached our identity as a congregation or as individual Christians to particular buildings and spaces. Okay. That just got stripped away. 
Um, So now who are we going to be and what is it to be community and to be a disciple in the world? Um, I think uh, is, is a really important conversation and, and every pastor I know is in that conversation, right? Uh, And they've got folks in their churches who are willing to be in that conversation now who probably weren't willing to be in that conversation six months ago. Um, So as we think about, um, how the church moves into the future. I think that's an important piece of this. Yeah. Um, but the other, you know, lots of invitations here. I mean, one of them I sort of already mentioned, I think is to our own creatureliness, mm-hmm. um, which we have enjoyed. I think of a lot of illusions about as modern people that we don't really think of ourselves as creatures subject uh, to the forces of nature, right? I mean, uh, and, and all of our conveniences kind of support that illusion, right? I can flip a switch when I want to light, uh, you know, when I need lighting. I don't have to actually be subject to the movement of the sun, right? The way most right. human beings have been. So in that sense, I mean, we live in illusion about our creatureliness. We don't have a lot of the experiences of our environment that tell us that. Um, And this is an experience where we're really kind of brought to our knees as creatures. Uh, And what does that mean um, in terms of embracing our finitude, embracing our limits, uh, and seeing those as gifts and blessings rather than as failures? Um, Mm. So I think as spiritual leaders, there's a lot of invitations in that and a lot of fertile ground because ultimately in all of that, I think we learn how to be human again uh, and more deeply human um, that, that allows us to then be the image of God in the world. Yeah. So how is what does daily life look like for you and, and how has it shifted things? Have you I think kind of early on you had to cancel some travel and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cancel travel. I continue to teach. Um, I teach both at the university of Oklahoma and in seminary settings. And so those semester long courses have moved online and, um, and that's a, a different way to learn and a different way to teach, but still, an opportunity and I love doing that. Um, And what's been interesting to me is I think I've had a lot more invitations actually for interviews and podcasts, much like this one around mindfulness and spiritual Mm -hmm. practices, Um, not just within religious circles, but within higher education. Uh, So colleges and universities that faculty Mm -hmm. are wanting, how do I stay grounded? How do I stay centered? in the midst of what feels like chaos for me and my students. You know, questions that even academic circles, even in the field of religion, rarely ask. These are really spiritual questions. And so um, it's been really interesting and exciting to see those, those conversations emerging and to get to be part of them in different ways. Um, so I'm finding that even though I wrote the book on mindfulness three years ago, uh, in many ways, it's speaking into this moment, uh, particularly. And so there's been a lot of renewed interest in that too. Yeah. Lovely. So what are you currently researching? Are you writing anything right now? You got any other big projects going on? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not writing right now. I, I am still sort of watching and wanting to be attentive. Um, since I wrote that mindfulness book, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wanting to continue to see how it plays out in both in Christian culture and in the larger secular culture, um, because I think that is going to give me the, the clues for discerning my next scholarly project. Um, and so I see my work in that way that I, I share it and then I watch for the fruit and then that helps me move mm-hmm. the, the next piece. And so I'm kind of in that attentive discerning place. That being said, one of the things I'm, I'm interested in had already started some work on before the pandemic is what are the organic spiritual practices to digital space? 
So how do we think about our own embodiment and our spiritual lives in the digital spaces we're all in, whether that's in education or consumption or congregational, yeah. you know, um, so, which is different than saying, how do I take my Bible study and put it online, you know, or how do I do spiritual direction on zoom, right? Those are important questions too. Those aren't the questions I'm asking. I, I'm asking really, uh, how is it, what are we already doing in those spaces that are fertile ground for our spiritual lives to be cultivated? Hmm. Lovely. Is there a place we can follow along with your work? I mean, do you, in terms of posting or, I mean, <laughs> right. You know, I am not, I'm not on social media uh, much at all, but I do have a website, amyodin.com where I, I do post my work. I post interviews, anything okay. I'm doing on the web. And I also post uh, my speaking schedule of where I'm going to be. And, uh, and people can contact me through my website if you want to talk more or if I can be helpful to your community. Lovely amyodin.com. I guess just as we come to a close, I'm wondering if you have a blessing or a prayer, a scripture that you might offer us uh, as we kind of continue to inhabit uh, this both new and ancient space of turning inward and being home. Hmm. Um, how about we um, do some attentive breathing? That'd be great. And I'll yeah. just invite you and all of the folks listening. Take a moment. You may want to close your eyes and bring your awareness to your breath. Feel it as you inhale. Really focus on that sensation of oxygen as it comes into your nose and your chest and you feel your chest expand. And gently release it and on your next inhale again feeling your breath and being aware that the natural world has transformed elements into oxygen that you take in and as you exhale you've transformed. Mm. This gift of breath that we don't achieve or produce or earn, no Facebook post or perfect relationship. It is a sheer gift given no matter what. And one more breath, take a good deep breath all the way down into your belly, feeling that oxygen pulse through your body, bringing life. Holy One, for all of this, your life in us and through us and with us, we give thanks. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Amy, for being with me and with us today. You are a delight and a joy, and we're just grateful and better because you're with us. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening along with us today. We recognize that having a podcast is one thing and having folks listen and engage with it is entirely another. So we're grateful you're here, you're listening, you're journeying, you're engaging. The Academy and all of its offerings exist because of you. Feel free to share this podcast with others. May it be a balm, a prayer, a guide, an inspiration, a beacon of hope in your daily lives. And to follow along with Amy Odin and her work, visit her website at amyodin.com.
hear more from faculty and wisdom guides in the area of spiritual formation, join us at the next five-day or two-year academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org. Thank you.